You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. We are in our second week uh, of our Advent series. Uh, If you are not from a kind of traditional liturgical background, Advent is a, uh, is a time of year where we just kind of remember the first coming of Jesus in, in anticipation of the second. Um, and so the word Advent is from the Latin word Adventus, which just means arrival or coming. Um, and so we spend time thinking about that. And we entitled this year's series, Behold. Um, it's a word that shows up in the Bible a ton. Behold, behold, behold. In the, in the Greek New Testament, it's the word edu. And it just literally means see or, or look, behold. And it's used often, in, especially in narrative texts where it's, it's more story, where an author wants to draw you into the story. He wants to bring you in and add kind of flavor and enliven the narrative. So he says, look there, behold this, so that you can see it for yourself. That's the idea. And what we're trying to do this, this year is just do that with Advent, that we look and that we see and we just kind of enliven this time where we think about Jesus' first arrival in anticipation of his second arrival. Um, and so each week in Advent, typically there's a theme, there's a focal point. Traditionally, the first week we light the, what's called the prophecy candle and we talk about hope and how the Old Testament all points to who Jesus was and, and that he would come. Week two, we talk about, we focus in on, we behold peace. Peace. And so that's what I want us to see today. And I want us to behold it. I want us to look at it. I want us to get it from looking at a tree. A tree. Not one of these trees. These are Home Depot. I think. Was it Lowe's or Home Depot? One or the other. Uh, a different kind of tree. I don't know if you saw it last week in the news. Made big news because everyone's pretty much bored during COVID. Um, but they brought the tree into Rockefeller Center. You know, the big Christmas tree that they light every year. And man, it caused a stink. Did you see this story? Okay. People were mad as a hatter. They're like, this is the Charlie Brown Christmas tree of 2020. It's so fitting. And it's the Grinch's tree and all this stuff, right? And to be honest with you, it did. It looked pretty pitiful when they brought it in the truck. It even had an owl in the thing. The poor owl like rode on the back of the truck for like 180 miles, right? They named, what did they name the owl? I forget the name of it. You know, maybe they called him COVID. I don't know what they called him. But, uh, but, but it was just pitiful looking. And everyone's complaining. It's so fitting for 2020 and all this stuff. But after 50,000 lights... I can't even fathom that. We have three strands in our tree and it pretty much destroys our family. Okay, so 50,000 lights, five miles of wire. Five miles of wire. And then they put this 900 pound star with three million crystals in it. And after that, this tree that looked really pitiful in the beginning, it actually looks pretty beautiful, pretty spectacular, right? In the beginning, it was not the tree they wanted. In the end, it was like, okay, that's good. That's a little bit like the tree we're gonna look at today. First, you're gonna be like, really? peace from this but in the end it's the tree you needed and it's the tree that you really actually did want all right so turn to Matthew chapter one if you have a bible if not it'll be on the screen Matthew is the first of the gospel the first book of the new testament and uh what we're gonna see today is not a Christmas tree or an oak tree or a sycamore tree we're gonna see a family tree 
which is not what you may be think, thinking about when it comes to peace, but it actually will point us there. Uh, and here's my point. I got one point in this sermon. I usually don't do this and tell you the point up front, but I'm going to do it today. Break all my codes, all right? And I really only have one point. So if you fall asleep, you know, and, and, you're, and later on your wife's like, you fell asleep, you didn't know what the sermon's about, you could say, yes, I do. Here's the point, all right? Here it is. That King Jesus brought and brings peace. And I've used my words very carefully and we'll kind of unpack that. That King Jesus brought peace, King Jesus brings peace. That's the point of the sermon. Now I do have some sub points so you're not getting away with just kind of one point, but, but this is where we are going. So let me read our text. All right, 17 verses. It's gonna be very exciting for you to hear it. Um, it's one of those passages that tests Paul's all scripture is profitable. You're gonna be like, yeah, I don't get that. But for some reason... God in his providence inspired Matthew to write this this way. And so I think we should read it. It's God's word. It's as equally inspired as John 3, 16, as Romans 8, 28. And so let me read through our text. Uh, I'll move fast um, because you'll see why in a minute. Uh, and then we'll kind of unpack it a little bit. All right. Verse one of Matthew one. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Abinadab, or whatever, uh, and he was the father of Nashan, and Nashan the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, Abijah, the father of Asaph, Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, breath, and Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, or Ammon, and Amos, the father of Josiah, Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of Abiad, Abiad, the father of Eliakim, Eliakim, the father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Akim, Akim, the father of Eliad, Eliad, the father of Eleazar, Eleazar, the father of Matan, Matan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called Messiah, Christ, anointed one. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Wow, that's exciting. That's good stuff. All you navigators out there like, I'm memorizing that this week. Yeah, you are. Right? How in the world... What? What is that all about? I mean, that's, that's, that's like these things, we had these things before 2000, they were called uh, phone books. So you young people, there's these things they used to put in your mailbox every year, it's called a phone book, and you'd open it up, it'd be names and numbers, right? People had phone numbers back then, they didn't have like Twitter accounts and all these things, you actually called them uh, on the phone. Uh, that, that's what this reads like, it's about as exciting as a phone book, right? So what is this about? Why is this here? Right? What Matthew does, remember who Matthew is, by the way. For those of you who are unfamiliar with the Bible, Matthew is one of the 12 disciples. 
one of Jesus' 12 disciples. He's one of two disciples that actually gets to write a gospel. Two of the gospels are written by disciples, Matthew and John. The other two are, are not, were not followers of Jesus said it during his physical life, Mark and Luke. But Matthew was one of them. And in his previous life, before he was a disciple, he worked for what is what we would call the IRS. How many of you like the IRS? Okay, good. We don't have any IRS agents in our church. That's very good to know. Um, so uh, basically... Matthew was the equivalent of the IRS, but even more despised because what the tax collectors of the day did is they took money from their own people and they gave it to Rome, who were the conquerors. They were despised. And Matthew worked for them. And then one day Jesus comes up to his little booth and says, you follow me. And Matthew says, okay. And he leaves the tax collector behind and follows Jesus. That's who's writing this book. And and he breaks, as he starts his gospel, he breaks almost every rule that they teach you in seminary. Right? Of course, he does it on the inspiration of the Spirit, so maybe seminary's wrong. I don't know. But here's the thing. He would have failed preaching class, at least on this sermon. Because what they teach you in seminary is when you're preaching, you got to grab their attention up front. You, you just get you know, a story, or you get a tease, or you know, whatever, right? Every good story, every good novel, every good movie starts this way, right? Um, you got uh, Tale of Two Cities. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. And you're like, oh, well, I want to know about that, right? Of course you do. Or Star Wars in a galaxy long ago, a long time ago in a galaxy far away. You're like, I want to know about that, right? What does he do? The father of the father of the father of. Snooze fest, right? I mean, he just kind of, he's like, it's not what you do. Even the other gospels don't do this. I mean, Mark Starts out his gospel talking about how John is just yelling at people in the wilderness. I want to read about that. Luke starts his out with a guy going into the temple and an angel shows up and the guy can't speak after that. That's kind of fun. That's exciting. John, even in his kind of theological deep ways, like in the beginning was the word, the word was God, the word was God. And you're like, oh, that's kind of interesting. Let's go dig deeper. Matthew, the father of, the father of, the father of. Why? There's a reason. There's a reason. We're going to unpack that in a second. But that's the first thing he does. It breaks all the preaching rules. The second thing is, he tells you the ending. He te- it's a begin- the very first line in the movie, the first line in the story, the book of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. He tells you who the Messiah is. It's not a whodunit. This is not Agatha Christie. This is not Matlock. At the very end, he brings in the, oh, he tells you right up front the ending. Thanks. I'd be like, you know, Orson Welles and, and Citizen Kane. You know Citizen Kane, classic movie? Some of you younger folks don't know it. You need to watch it. At the beginning, he says, Rosebud, and then he dies. And then the whole movie, you're like, what's Rosebud? It'd be like Citizen Kane be like, Rosebud is a sled because Rosebud's a sled. There you go. You're not going to see it anyway, right? If you haven't seen it yet, you're not going to see it anyway. Rosebud's a sled. You wasted your whole time finding that out. But that, I'd be like him telling you right up front. Rosebud's a sled. Clarence gets his wings and Potter gets beaten by George. Okay, that, that, that's what happens. Like his wonderful life is over. I, you don't spoil the story up front. But he does. He says, Jesus is the Messiah. And here's why. Every gospel is written to a specific audience. There's a specific audience in mind. Right? John is an evangelist. He wants everyone to know about Jesus. Luke is written to Gentiles. So you got all these different audience. Matthew's audience is Israel. He's writing to a Jewish audience. 
And he, he uses the Old Testament more than any other gospel writer. He assumes the knowledge of the Old Testament. He quotes prophecies more than any other. Here's why. And here's why he hammers right up front. This is the, bio, the book, the, literally the Biblios, of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. He is the son of David. He is the son of Abraham. Why does he even mention this? Because every little boy and every little girl growing up in Israel in that time have been hearing about a Messiah, a king. And every little boy and every little girl know that that Messiah has to come from Abraham and he has to come from David. They know this. This is the prophecy. This is what has been said. And he highlights it right up front. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the son of David. He is the son of Abraham. And even puts a stamp and even puts it in neon lights as he closes this section, verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David, 14. And from David to deportation of Babylon, 14. And then the deportation of Babylon to the Christ, 14. What's that all about? That's kind of weird. Here's what you need to know about genealogies. First of all, when there's a genealogy, sometimes the, the writer of it leaves out names. They skip generations, right? The word son of or father of could mean grandfather of in the original. It could mean great-grandfather of. It just means they're in the line. And for some reason, Matthew leaves out a bunch of names. He wants to organize this genealogy. So there's 14, 14, and 14. Not because he's made mistakes. I mean, this is a numbers guy. Okay, this is not... You know, mistake by mistake, mistake plus eleven gets you home by seven. That's not Matthew, right? For those of you, that's your reference of the day, right? He 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 knows what he's doing. There is a reason why he organizes it this way, and here's why: an original audience would get it. It's a little bit different for us. The Hebrew language. Uh, for the Hebrew letters, there's actually a numerical value uh, uh, given to each Hebrew letter. For instance. Uh, so for how many letters in the English language? 26, very good. First service missed that. You guys are sharp. Okay, good. I mean, this must be sleeping in. I don't know. So there's 26 letters. So if there's a numerical value given to letters, A would be one, right? A is one, first letter in the alphabet. B would be how many? Oh, you're sharp. You are sharp. D would be? Oh, good. Oh, very good. I was thinking someone's going to say three, but you know your alphabet. Very good. You went to public school, I know. All right. So that's how it works. In Hebrew, there's not 26 letters, but it's the same thing. And so here's the, here's the, the, the Hebrew name, word named David, right? Remember, they go right to left. So you have Dalit, Vav, Dalit, right? And there's no vowels in Hebrew. There's no A, E, I, O, U, and sometimes Y, right? There's none of that. They just have consonants, and then they know what somehow magically what the sound's supposed to be. I never figured that out in seminary. Got by with a, a nice B. Okay, so, um, but, so you got D, V, D. D in the English language and in the Hebrew just so happens to be the fourth letter. So how many does it get for, for, for being fourth? Four, very gosh, sharp as attack this group. All right, good. So there's your uh, Dalit with four. Now, Vav, V is at the end of our alphabet, but it's up front in theirs, and it's actually the sixth letter, which means how many, how much the value is it? Six. Okay, here, here's the tricky part. Okay, this is where some of you drop out. What is four plus six? All right, plus another four. Fourteen. How many generations from Abraham to David? Fourteen. How many from David to deportation? Fourteen. How many from deportation to Christ? Fourteen. All he's doing is highlighting he is the son of David. He is in the line of David. He meets all the physical qualifications. He meets all the spiritual qualifications. This is your Messiah. He's putting it in neon lights. That all the prophecies the Old Testament had, there's over 300 prophecies 
in the Old Testament about Jesus. All of them point to one person. And it, y'all, that is statistically, it's beyond what statistics will do. Just one mathematician figured out that just, just one person fulfilling eight, eight of the over 300 prophecies, just eight of them, the statistics are almost impossible, right? Here's the number. It's a big number, right? There you go. That's the number, one in that, just to fulfill eight. That's 10 times one to the 17th power. So, you know, here, again, my PE skills only go to the thousands, but you got hundreds, thousands, millions, billions, trillions. Where's my math people? What's next? Quadrillion, yeah, I Googled it. Oh, you're right, okay, I didn't know it. I thought it was bazillion. <laughs> then I realized that's not a number. Okay, no wonder I was P major. But the point is this, it's a statistical anomaly. That's for eight. I can give you eight just from the birth of Christ. Virgin birth, child of David, child of Abraham, born in Bethlehem, goes to Egypt, uh, crying in Ramah, forerunner, from Nazareth, out of Galilee, I, call. I can give you just eight from the birth narratives. 300 plus, it's, it's statistically, but it all points to one guy. Jesus of Nazareth, who is the Christ. Remember, Christ is his title. It is not his last name. He's Joseph. He's the son of Joseph, son of Mary. That's his last name. His, his title is the Messiah. He is the Christ. And Matthew is telling you up front, he is the king. Behold, CBC, your king. He is your king. He's not just Israel's king. The promise to Genesis, in Genesis 12 to Abraham, remember the son of Abraham? The promise was that in you, Abraham, all the nations of the world will be blessed. All the nations, the United States, Canada, Mexico, Cuba, Japan, Korea, India, China, Australia, New Zealand, Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan, Kazakhstan, all the nations blessed in him. It's not just Israel's king, although it is Israel's king, but he will sit on the throne of David, but it won't just be a, for, on a, for a, a, a few people in a sliver of land the size of Jersey in the Middle East. It's an eternal kingdom. His promise to David was that I will establish your throne forever, forever. He is not just their king. He is the king the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Every knee at his name will bow. Every tongue will confess that he is Lord. In fact, his name, one of his names is King of kings and Lord of lords. Revelation 19, it says it's on his robe. He's got it embroidered. King of kings. And just in case you doubted it, he put a tattoo on his thigh too that says King of kings. Just so you know that he is the king. You can't miss it, right? You can't miss it. And you know another one of his names is? Not just King of kings, not just Jesus is prince of what? Peace. For a child is born, a son is given. The government will rest upon his shoulder, will be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And notice the next line. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David forever. Right? He is not just the king. He is your king Paul says he not just is the prince of peace, that he is our peace. Behold your king, right? And here's, here's your, your king brings peace and your king brought peace. And here's what I wanna do. Here's your sub points. Here's where we put a little, little uh, tinsel on the tree, so to speak. Here's where the ornaments kind of land on this tree, 
right? I want you to see two things, two ways that Jesus brings peace and that Jesus brought peace. Let's focus first on the brings peace, right? That King Jesus brings peace in life now. I think that's significant, right? Let me show you how that, that works from this list. Because um, it doesn't on the surface, maybe you think, oh, what does this list have to do with peace? When you read these names, and I have this week, and I looked up most of them and looked up most of their stories. I went through 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles. Fun reading, y'all. Very, very Christmassy. Um, but when you look at the, the individual pieces, which you, it just stands out. It's not just a name. These are real people. These are real lives. They're real marriages. There's real kids. There's real disappointment. There's real challenges. Some of them loved God. Some of them hated God. Some of them were trying their best to obey. Some were trying their best to oppose. Some lived in times when God was speaking and prophets were moving and miracles were happening. And some lived in times when it said the heavens were silent. Some lived in times when things were great. Some lived in times when things were tragic. But in all of it, what this list reminds me of, that in every time and every circumstance on this, that third rock from the sun, our God was completely in control of every single bit of it. From his first promise in Genesis 3 that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent to the last prophecy in Malachi that I will send a forerunner before my Messiah. God was setting out to accomplish that which he predetermined before the foundation of the world to do. That he will send his son at the right time, at the right place. And no human, no spiritual authority, nothing was going to stop or thwart his plan. He was in control. The theological term we would use is he is sovereign he is overall ruling, reigning, in control, even if it seems like he wasn't. Because there's times you read this story, it seems like he wasn't. But he was. He is. And, and as we think about God's, just God's sovereignty in this list, there's so many facets of it. God is sovereign over who he chooses. You realize that? That this is what uh, the theologians in the church call the doctrine of election, which is a curse word to some of you, and I understand, like, but it's a biblical idea that God chooses those who he chooses. And you see that through this list, because there's a bunch of dudes and, and dudettes on this, on this list that you wouldn't have chose. They're not your first round draft pick, I can tell you. I mean, if you're, if you're looking to bless all the nations and be a, have a father of faith and a father of many nations, the last person you choose is an 80-year-old dude. No offense to you 80-year-olds. But you make much better great uncles and grandpas than dads at this point. But God says, I'm going to make many nations. I'm going to choose the 80-year-old who's barren. That's what I'm choosing. And that's the guy that, by the way, he's, the promise is going to come through him. He's going to have a child. So he, what does he do? First thing he does is when, when the heat gets on, he sells out his wife so she can be married to Pharaoh. And then he does it again to Abimelech. Great dude. And then finally, when Isaac is born, God says, I want you to go kill him on the mountain. And I'm sure the angels are like, what? And as soon as the knife goes up, the angels are like, what in the world is God doing? And as he's plunging the, the knife down into his son, and God stops his hand and says, stop. I bet they're like, Whew. didn't see that. I was going to end. And then, remember, Isaac has two sons. We looked at him in the heart of COVID back in March. Jacob and Esau, Hulk Hogan and the accountant. And who are you going to choose if you're in charge, if you're God, to lead a nation and to deliver? I'm choosing the Hulkster. 
He chooses the accountant who was a deceiver and a liar and a, and a slimy dude. And then he's got 12 kids through a bunch of ladies. And, and all of them are slime balls, or at least 10 of them are. And there's one guy that comes out of that, and he's wearing a cool jacket. His name is Joseph. And so maybe everyone's thinking, man, you got to choose Joseph. He's a good dude. He says, no, I'm going to choose Judah, the guy who had an affair with his daughter-in-law. Great guy. That's who I would choose. And then one of his descendants, a guy named David. And we think, you know, King David, slingshot, cuts off the giant's head. We have this. Remember David's story. David is one of seven. He is the youngest of seven. And he's such an afterthought to his dad. When, when the prophet Samuel is like, God says one of your kids is going to be the king. He doesn't even call David. He calls the other six because they're all big and burly. They've been in the gym. They've been at Planet Fitness working out. And they leave David out in the field with the animals. And God works his way, Samuel works his way through. And none of these guys, is this all the kids you have? Well, we got the run, but he's, he takes care of the animals. They bring in David and, and Samuel says, that's the guy. Just proving that God chooses short people to rule. <laughs> That's right. Because God is sovereign. And that should be a comfort. God chooses who he chooses. God uses who he uses. This list highlights the sovereignty of God. Not only his, in his choice. God is sovereign over, over times of blessing. There's a lot of times of blessing here. Time of David, that was a great time to be in Israel. For the most part. Time of Solomon... No war during Solomon's life. And it says that silver was so prevalent, it was like gravel. That's how, that's how it was. And so that's a good time to be alive, right? I need some money. Why don't you go get your shovel and go outside, son? Get you a job. Go dig in the field. That's what it was like. That's a good time. The time of Abraham, for the most part, was good. He was very blessed. There's also a lot of bleak times. Time of Judges, 350 plus years where everyone does what is right in his own eyes. That's the time of Ruth. That's the time of Boaz. The time, verse 12, of, of the deportation when, when Judah is just so rebellious that God says, I'm done with you. And he brings Babylon in and he takes them away for 70 years. They're out of the land, destroys the temple. That's, that's a bleak time. He's sovereign then. There's two periods in this, this list of 400 years of silence. Where God does not seem to be doing anything. Do you realize that? The time, we're going to look at this sneak peek in the spring. When Israel were slaves in Egypt. 400 years. Nope. By the way, at that point, the Bible hadn't been written. There's no Moses yet. So there's no Genesis yet, right? They have no scripture. They have no answer from God. They're just slaves in Egypt for 400 years. Thinking, God, where, what are we doing here? Silence. And then there's another 400 year period from Malachi, the end of the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi to Matthew chapter one is 400 years of oppression from Babylon, then Media Persia, then Greece, then Rome. They're slaves. And God had been sending prophets, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Hosea, Amos, Obadiah, all these people, all these years. And then all of a sudden it's like heaven shut. Nothing. 400 years of nothing. You know how long that is? You know what was going on in 1620, 400 years ago in America? Where's my history, people? Big, big event in 1620. You know what it was? Mayflower Compact, baby. Mayflower Compact. I don't even know what that means. I just know the Mayflower. What's compact? Okay, Mayflower lands in Plymouth. They freeze. 
they have Thanksgiving with Snoopy. All right. That's 400 years ago. Think about that. That's pre-America by a long shot. 400 years of slavery. God's people. Silence. Yet God's like, I'm working. I got, I got to like him. I got Zadok. I got Shealtiel. I'm moving. You may not see it, but I'm moving. Right? And what this, this list reminds me of, of whether it's great times, bleak, God's speaking, moving, God seems quiet. Good times and bad, that he is sovereign over all of it. That he is moving over all of it. You see, this is why we need Advent. This is why we need times to think about the fact that we think, oh, 2020 has been a hard year. Nothing like what's going on in the years of Caesar Augustus as the, the Israelites are being taxed and murdered by Rome, having been free for for 600 years, pretty much, right? Nothing like them. We need to look back that in the middle of that, God sends his son and he will send his son again, right? Sometimes we just need something to, to hang on to hope and we find hope and we find peace when we behold our king. If, if in 100 years, Jesus hasn't come back, they may look back on 2020 so you might not say like in verse 12 in the, and after the deportation to Babylon, they might say something like in the days of COVID, political angst, social media craziness, toilet paper famine. In the days of COVID, God was still sovereign. God was still faithful, right? And if you, if you, this is what's interesting. If you break this list down, again, I encourage you to do it. Maybe you do it in your community group. Maybe you study certain guys here. But if you break this list down and just see the stuff that's going on there, this is your life. You, you got ups and you got downs. You got times of blessing and you got times of scarcity. You got times of sickness. You got times of health. You got times where you feel like God's answering your prayers. You got times where you feel like is he even listening to me? You got times where everyone's joyful. You got times when you feel lonely. That's this list, right? And when you look at it as an individual, when you kind of piece it apart, you look at David and you look at Boaz and you look at Ruth. When you see that and get in the, in the, the kind of nuts and bolts of it, it seems like chaos and it seems like brokenness and despair. But when you step back from Matthew's perspective, this is why I think Matthew does it. That's why I think the spirit does it. He says, it looks so neat and orderly, doesn't it? 14, 14, 14, boom, Messiah. That's like perfect. So simple and nice and orderly. You get down in the nuts and bolts, you're like chaos. But God wants you to step back and see there was never any doubt about this thing. There's no, they may have been deported. The temple may have been gone. Jerusalem may be destroyed. There was never any doubt that it was going to happen because God is sovereign. He is going to accomplish what he sets out to do. And when you grasp that, you know what happens? Peace. You can have peace. Read an article this week by a pastor who had lost his wife early in his marriage. Cancer, he's remarried now, but he, uh, he said, Advent is the rusty nail holding us together until resurrection. I like that. Because the bottom line is this, 2021 for some of you is gonna be the greatest year of your life. You're gonna get married, you're gonna have grandkids, you're gonna have triplets, which may not be the greatest thing, but I don't know. You're not going to sleep, but you're going to have three triplets. That's great. You may get into med school. You may graduate from med school. You may fill in the blank. 
right? It's going to be a great year for you, 2021. And 2020 is going to be a train wreck for some of y'all, bottom line, right? You're going to, you might lose a parent. Uh, you You might hear the words that none of us want to hear, cancer. You don't know. But wherever you're at, God is sovereign. And because of that truth, you can have peace. See, our problem when we hear peace, you know what I think when I think about peace? A nap. Right? You're like, I want some peace this afternoon, which means I want to sleep. Right? That's what we think. We think peace is the absence of chaos. That's not biblical peace. In fact, Jesus reminds us of this in John. It's worth seeing. He says, I, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Thank you, Jesus. I want peace. Peace and quiet. But he says, no, 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 not that kind. Not as the world gives you, do I give you. See, the world's peace is the fact that, is that the truth that you'll never hear the words, you're fired, downsized. That's the world's peace. The world's peace is you'll never get dumped. You'll never be disappointed. You'll never have a struggle with depression. You'll never hear the words cancer. That's the world's peace. Jesus is not promising that. That's not what he's asking, saying. He says, no, I'm not giving you that kind of peace. In fact, later on at the end of this kind of passage, John 14, 15, and 16, and 17 are really all one big talk. But he says at the end, he says, I've said all these things that in me, you may have peace. In the world, you will hear downsized, uh, not get into school, uh, not expectations met, cancer. He says, you will hear those things in the world. But... Take heart. Why? Because I, and it's emphatic in the Greek, I, even I, have overcome the world. See, he says, I give you peace. Peace is in me. It's not in out here. What, what, what the peace that God brings when you believe that he is sovereign over all things is not peace from chaos. It is peace in the midst of chaos. Because I know where this thing is headed. And I know because I've seen it as a train wreck and it's still God is moving. That's what we can expect this side of the advent. We can expect chaos, but we expect that Jesus is with us. This is another behold statement. The end of the gospel of, of Matthew actually ends with a behold. and says, behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's peace. And if you want to say, how, well, how do I practically, let me give you four ways quickly that we can practically have peace this morning. Because I know that we, we want something to hang on, because I want you to walk out, and I don't want you to be stressed and be like, okay, that was great, but I need to go because I have all this. So four things from, from Paul, kind of related to this text, that, that will help you facilitate the peace that God brings through the Prince of Peace. Number one is rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. You want to have peace? Start rejoicing. Start rejoicing. Not rejoicing in COVID, lost job, I got dumped, I don't have a prom, I'm online educated. It doesn't say rejoice in that. What does it say? Rejoice in what? The Lord. Twice. Again, I say it. True or false? Complaining gives you peace. Okay, good. Rejoicing brings peace. Yesterday, my power went out. I, I called one of our guys on staff. I mean, not on staff at the church. He works for Georgia Power. I'm like, dude, what's, what's the deal? As if he like has the switch at his house or something. Apparently, only 10 people in all of Savannah had lost their power. I was one of them. And it's amazing hearing the complaining in our house. I can't believe it. I can't, you know, well, when is the power going to be on? They said 11.15. Well, it's 11.26 right now. What's the problem? Right? And one of my kids comes up and says, 
Dad, it's like the 1800s. I'm like, yes, it is. I mean, we have gas fire logs, gas stove. We still have, you know, phones, but it's just like the pilgrims on Oregon Trail and stuff. I mean, it's just like that because we're just so used to complaining. And what, the, the way to peace is not complaining, but it's rejoice. And so what I would tell you this morning is, hey, during this season of Advent, of kind of thinking, of beholding, get some time where you can enjoy your king. I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe it's gathering and watching Elf and drinking cocoa until you throw up. I don't know. But enjoy your God this Advent. Go for a walk. Talk to him. Read through the Gospels again. Find a, get, get on with us in, in this Advent devotional. I don't know. But enjoy and rejoice. And sing. Don't be all lip syncing, hark the herald out there. The best way to spend Christmas cheer is to sing loudly for all to hear. All right, okay? So rejoice. Number two, right? It's let your reasonableness be known to all men. And, and that just means just be gentle. The word reasonableness means gentleness. It's the same word. Yielding, not insisting on your own way. Courteous. Give up your rights. That's the idea. All of you have expectations, especially some of you ladies. They're way high. Too high for us men. It's going to have the perfect Christmas card, perfect meal, perfect gift, perfect this, perfect this, perfect dog, perfect house, perfect this. It's not going to happen. And what happens when your expectations are not met? There's no peace. So give up your rights and your expectations. Have no expectations of your husband and everything will be fine. But in all reality, give up your rights. That's gentleness. You'll be so much more chill. You'll have peace. You're in the line at Chick-fil-A. It's four miles long. Give up your rights. Hang in there. You'll get there eventually. But that's the idea. Gentleness. You want to have peace? Have gentleness. Next thing he says, uh, don't be anxious. Stop stressing. You worry about this. What's going to happen in the spring? My kid going back to college. We're going to have a job. How many of you can add one single hour to your life by worrying? None of you. Stressing helping you have peace or not? Got to get to Amazon. Got to get to Target. Got to get to this. Chill out. Go watch Miracle on 34th Street. Drink some coffee and chill out. It'll happen. Relax. Stop stressing. Stop worrying. Let everyone else worry. You've been trust in God. And the last thing is, is talk to him. Do not be anxious, but in everything with prayer and supplication and thanks. Even spend some time praying. Spend some time being thankful. Not for what you don't have, but what you do have. You don't have heat. Yes, because your power's out. You know what you do have? A house. Some of you are like, I hate my job. You have a job. Praise God, you have a job. I didn't like this meal. You have food. You have clothes. You have, you're, you're able to gather as a church. You realize that probably, I don't even know what the percentage is, but it's less than 10% of churches are gathering in a nation. You're in a church that actually is gathering. Praise God, right? So just instead of being, oh, what do I don't have? What do I don't have? Focus on what you do. Talk to God, be thankful. And all these things, what is the result? Look what he says. And the peace of God, which surpasses understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Peace in Christ. How? Rejoice. Practice gentleness. Stop worrying. All these are linked to God's sovereignty. Talk to God. They're all linked to trusting in him that he's good. And what I, I just want you to leave today lifted and having peace because knowing wherever you're at, whatever you're going through, you have a God who knows and God who cares and God who loves you and God who is near wherever you're at. 
The king brings peace. And then second thing real quick. King Jesus brought peace. Peace with God. And this is why he came. This is, the, this is the big E on the eye chart. This is don't miss the trees or the forest. Why did Jesus come? Because we were not at peace with God. We were alienated. Ever since Genesis 3, Adam and Eve 8, we have been separated from God. And Jesus had to come to reconcile. Right? He, there had to be a reconciliation. Otherwise, we would end alienated from God. And what this genealogy shows me, and it should encourage you, is that Jesus is a friend of sinners. Because this list is sinners. Even though you're like, oh, no, there's some really good guys in there. Really? Who's the best? David? Yeah, the guy who killed his buddy so he could have his wife? Great guy. Oh, then he, then he was so arrogant and proud that he cost 125,000 people their lives in Israel. Good dude. There's not a guy or girl on this list that's not broken. Even Mary, as sweet as she is, she says, God is my savior. I need a savior. And we talked about it a couple years ago when we looked at this passage, by the way, that God in this passage is a friend of sinners of both male and female. One of the unique things about this genealogy is there's women included in it because God equally values men and women. And so he throws Bathsheba in there. Not a great girl. Tamar, woo-hoo. Rahab the... Harlot is in there. Okay, you, got, you do have Ruth the Moabitess, who, she's a sweet gal, but she's a Moabite. They're not even allowed in the temple in the Old Testament. You realize that? But he puts them all in there. Why? Because Jesus is the friend of sinners, because he's the king of all nations, and he's redeeming all men and women to himself, and he wants all to come. He desires repentance on all of us, right? And it's, it's just a beautiful picture of what God does. And if you're here and you're like, man, I, I, got a, I got a past. Your past ain't nothing compared to most people on this list. Even Manasseh. Manasseh was a, was a scoundrel of a king. Most of his life, awful until the very end. And he becomes a follower of God. And so the point is this. If Jesus is not ashamed to have these people in his family, then he ain't ashamed of you either. That's why he came. To reconcile sinners. This is why verse 16 says, Joseph, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, whom Jesus was born, who's called the Christ. Remember, the seed of the woman has to crush the head of the serpent. And so it's, he, Jesus is of Mary. Yeah, he's, he's the stepson. He has the legal right to the throne through the family of Joseph. But, but he's of Mary because the seed of woman crushes the head of serpent. It's significant. He crushes Satan. He kills sin. He kills death. He kills the enemy. And he gives us life, right? He saves us. His name means Yahweh saves. What does God save us from? He saves us from his own wrath. He saves us from his own wrath, his righteous wrath that we deserve. Jesus takes it on himself on the cross on another tree that we'll talk about another day, the tree of Calvary. That's where he takes it on himself so that we could be reconciled and be sons and daughters of God. That's why he came. This is why the angels say, glory to God on highest, peace on earth among men whom he is pleased. It's not peace on earth, peace with Rome. It's peace with God. And that's why Paul says in Romans 5, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. This is the peace that you need. This is the peace that I needed. And without this peace, there's no peace in life. Really. The key for us experiencing the peace that Jesus brings in life is to have peace with God. And that comes only through faith in Christ, 
turning from sin and faith in what Christ has done for us on the cross, that he died in our place for our sins and that he rose again. And so as I close, let me ask you this. Look, the king, he brought peace, he brings peace. The only question that matters is this. Is he your king? Now, he is the king, whether you acknowledge it or not, it doesn't really matter because at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. So he is the king, but the question that matters, the eternal question is, is he your king? Is he your king? Have you put your faith in him? Do you bow the knee like the magi? Do you worship him? Do you follow him? Do you listen to him? Do you love him? Because when you do, you will have peace in life and you have peace with God. You are a child of God. You are an heir to the kingdom. That's, that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. Do you have peace with God? And so we're gonna worship and sing. I know I want long this service. I'm sorry, but I'm really not. You guys come to the last service. That's what you sign up for. But I'll say this. Uh, use this time as we sing to rejoice. Or maybe use this time to Stop stressing. Cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. Or maybe to just be thankful, to sing, to reflect, to rejoice, and to leave with the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension. Let's pray. Why don't you stand with me? Father, thank you for peace. I thank you that Jesus brings it, that he brought it. I pray that we would experience it today, that your spirit sent by you to seal us for the day of redemption would bring peace. Shalom. Thank you for that promise and that hope. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.